Good morning uh, to everyone. It seems like I have to say like I've been growing service over service. At the uh, first service this morning, uh, Kendall introduced me as his eight-foot friend, and uh, now he says I'm a Goliath impersonator, so I must have grown to 10 feet. So uh, thank you, Kendall. Uh, But I just want to add my welcome to his. It's great to have you here this morning. Obviously, people that have been here uh, for years that we've been doing life with uh, together, and as well as I know there are some of you that are maybe here for your first time. So uh, welcome uh, to you this morning. Again, my name is John Bandai, and I'm one of the deacons here at Genesis. We've been in a series over the last couple of months called Jesus is Not Part of My Life. And at first glance, if you haven't been here for any of the other messages, that might seem like a little bit of a strange thing to say. You might look at me and think, well, you seem like a nice church person. I never would have thought I would have heard you say Jesus is not part of my life. But the goal in that, and you know this if if you've been here the last couple of months, is that the goal is not that Jesus is part of our life, but ultimately that Jesus is all of our life. And that who Jesus is and what Jesus taught infiltrates every part of our lives, uh, not just the areas that are maybe convenient or easy for us. Today we're going to be talking about the topic of our work and our careers and kind of applying that principle of Jesus being all of our life to uh, the area of our work. And as we get started on this topic of work, I want to acknowledge a couple of things up front. First, I want to acknowledge that for each of us, work might look very different. There are a lot of different ways that people can work. And some of us might be starting out in our careers and just getting started and excited for what's ahead. Some of us might be at a place in our careers and in our work where we're winding down and we're looking towards retirement. Some of us might be out of work right now and looking to get back into work. And in addition, we can all can have very various different roles or different jobs in our work. We have, I'm sure, people here who are teachers, uh, people who are students and waiting to enter the workforce, We've got engineers, people in sales and marketing, people in finance, people in law, people in the military. And we've got moms, right? We've got moms that work that fall into one of those other categories as well. We've also got moms that are full-time moms, uh, stay-at-home moms, and certainly uh, you all work as hard as any of us. So um, work can look like a lot of different things to a lot of different people. In addition, I'm sure that work elicits different emotions in all of us. Some of us love our jobs. We're already thinking about getting back to work on Monday morning and how excited we are to be there and what we're going to accomplish. Some of us, quite frankly, probably hate our jobs for whatever reason. Some of us like the people that we work with and we get a real sense of community out of our work. Some of us perhaps are challenged by the people that we work with and we can't stand the people that we have to spend every day with. We all have different career goals, right? Some people are trying to climb the corporate ladder and advance in work. Uh, Perhaps some of us are happy with where we're at and we just want to continue doing what we're doing um, for the foreseeable future. And we're all probably coming here today with a different work experience just this past week. Some of us are probably coming here today and we feel energized, we feel like we had a great week, while others others of us, excuse me, are, are very tired and we feel worn down. Since we're talking about career, I'll give you a brief overview of my background and my career. I've been in the workforce for a little over seven years now. I graduated college in 2007. And uh, since that time, I've been a a software salesperson. 
I uh, made a joke in the first service that it's what I always wanted to do since I was five, uh, but that obviously is not true. Uh, I got out of school not real sure of what I wanted to do, thought I might want a career in business, and I uh, got some advice to try my hand at sales uh, just as a way to get a good introduction into the workforce. Uh, so that's what I did. Um, I initially started out working for a small company of about 40 people in uh, Bedford, Massachusetts. It was a software company, and I did that for five years, and it was a great place to work and, and a huge blessing for me. And then more recently, I've transitioned over the last couple of years to a much larger company. So I now work at a company that has about 120,000 employees uh, worldwide, uh, about 40 billion in sales. So I've kind of seen both the small business and uh, the big corporate uh, side of, of work as well. So that's a little bit about me and about my background. And no doubt that resonates for some of you, while as for others of you, um, just what I just talked about seems quite foreign to you. Regardless of your career, though, and regardless about how you feel about your work, I just wanted to let you know this morning that your work has significance in God's eyes. And I hope this morning that that's an encouragement to you as well as a challenge. Put it simply, if Jesus is going to be all of our lives, then Jesus needs to be all of our work. It's really simple math when you think about it. A recent study from the Bureau of Labor Statistics um, states that for the people in the study, on a typical work day, they spent 8.7 hours of their day on work-related activities. And that was in comparison to roughly 7.7 .7 hours sleeping and 7.6 hours on other activities, such as eating, sports and leisure, caring for others, etc. Now, I know that probably a lot of you work a lot more than that 8.7. If you're in management or if you own your own company, for example, I'm sure you may work double that on a given day. But even if we just take the 8.7, that means that uh, during a work day, a third of our day and a half of our waking hours are spent on work-related things. And so it's simply something that we can't ignore if we want to live lives that are all about Jesus. As we study the topic of work this morning, I'm going to divide uh, our time really into three sections. First, I want to examine two uh, what I would call non-biblical views of work that we can often have about our work. Second, I want to examine what God thinks of work. And third, I want to take a look at how we can practically make Jesus all of our work on a day-to-day -day basis. But first, we'll get into two non-biblical works that I think are, I'm sorry, two non-biblical views of work that I think are prevalent in the workplace today. The first perspective is what I would call a low view of work. So some of us feel like our work has very little real or lasting value. In order to kind of help us get into a mindset and understand what that's like, I'll ask a few questions. First, have you ever heard a very gifted pastor or missionary speak and thought to yourself, man, I really need to get my life together and do something significant like what they are doing? Have you ever felt guilty that you work in the secular workplace instead of in a more spiritual field? When discussing your work on a day-to-day -day basis, do you tend to put it down? Do you say things like, it's just my day job, or it just pays the bills? Do you have trouble finding motivation to go to work every day? Is it just something that's challenging for you? You don't want to work. And if you've answered yes to these questions, then there's a good chance that you may have a sub-biblical view of work. And I think that there are a couple of reasons why I certainly have held this view at times and why we hold this view in general. First is simply that we might not like our current workplace very much, right? We just don't like showing up every day. We don't like doing our job. Secondly, I think sometimes we feel that in diminishing the value of our work, we're actually being more spiritual. 
right? We have our work on the one hand, we have the spiritual things that we do on the other hand, and we feel like to elevate the spiritual, we need to diminish the work and make it less important. In addition, we, we may also feel like a lower view of work is uh, affirmed by Scripture. For example, we may look at Genesis 3, where God curses man because of his sin and says to Adam, your work is going to be hard. And so we may view work as like a kind of punishment that we wouldn't have had to do if Adam hadn't sinned. Or we may look at Matthew 4, where Jesus calls his disciples and they leave their things and follow him. And we may understandably think that the most spiritual among us are those that leave the secular workplace behind and go and commit themselves to full-time ministry. So that's kind of the first perspective on work that we can have. The second perspective on work that I know I have at times and that I've seen in the workplace is what I'll call work is idle. In other words, we elevate work to a sacred level and we put it above all else. Again, I'll start out with some questions. Do you tie your sense of self and your personal value to the results that you achieve at work? Do you idolize those that are successful at work? And do you even feel nervous and uncomfortable around people in, in the workplace that you feel have been more successful than you? Do you primarily daydream and fantasize about getting to the corner office, making more money, and earning accolades? Is that what dominates your thought life? And are you concerned with being perceived as successful? Do you wear certain clothes, drive a certain car, live in a certain house, all because you want people to look at you and think, man, he or she has made it? In their book entitled, Your Work Matters to God, uh, Doug Sherman and William Hendricks note that when a man or woman idolize their career, they are really making themselves their idol. They write, for the careerist, duty to self is the greatest of all the commandments. But what could be more self-expressive than work? In other words, this generation lives by a new set of rules. The old rules said, deny yourself. The new rules say, fulfill yourself. The old rules said, love the Lord thy God. The new rules say, love the Lord thyself. And so we've taken a look briefly at just two perspectives we might have about work. And I know that for me, I've often fluctuated between the two depending on how I feel like my work is going. For example, when work is going well and I feel fulfilled, then I tend to gravitate more towards the work is idle perspective. Whereas if I have a rough couple of months and I'm not as interested in my work, then I tend to shift more to the viewpoint of my work not having meaning. So we've taken a look at those two views, and I want to ask the question now, how does God view work? In short, I would say, as I said before, that God views work as significant. And there are really th uh, three reasons that we'll focus on this morning uh, that I feel reinforce that standpoint, that God views work as significant. The first is that God himself is a worker, and that he has made us as workers in his image. The second is that God has designed work to be of present and eternal value. And the third is that God wants your work to be all about Jesus. But first, we'll take a look at this idea that God is himself a worker. And we see this as early in Scripture as Genesis 1 and 2. In Genesis 1, we read that God created the heavens and the earth. God spoke and there was light. God separated the waters from the heavens. God created dry lands, and he separated the day and night. He created the animals on land, sea, and air, and God created man in his own image. In Genesis 2, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, 
Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So what we see about God in that passage is first, is that God is a worker. He sets out to do something and he accomplishes the task and accomplishes it perfectly. And secondly, we also see that God is creative. He created the universe. He created the oceans. He created the sky and the land and the animals all from nothing. And we see shortly thereafter that God wanted man to be a co-laborer in his creation with him. In Genesis 2.15, it reads, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And I actually think that's pretty cool, right? I mean, God didn't create us just for his own amusement, just to kind of watch us and see what we do down here on earth. But rather, God wanted us uh, really to be partners with him in his creation. And he wanted us to interact with and care for and protect his creation. So work was really a part of God's intention uh, for man, even before sin came about. Certainly our sin impacts our work. There's no doubt about that. But work is good, and work is that I'm God's intention for man. Second main point about how God views work is that I believe that God views work as having present day and eternal value. From a present day value standpoint, it's easy to think of what those might be, right? Working allows us to uh, provide for uh, ourselves and for our families on the one hand, and certainly that's our responsibility to do. Um, it also allows us to be generous to other people. Proverbs 21, 25, and 26 read, The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. So we can see in that passage, it contrasts uh, the sluggard, the person that does not work hard uh, with the righteous who has uh, something to give. So God values our work from a present-day perspective. In addition, God values our work from an eternal perspective because it allows us and gives us an opportunity to point other people to Jesus. One way we can certainly do that is just by having conversations with people and sharing what Jesus has done for us and who Jesus is. But there's also a sense where it allows us to model for people and show what Paul in his second daily life with God looks like in the workplace. The Apostle Paul in his second letter to the Thessalonians writes, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in according to the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked day and night, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we did not, do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. I don't know about you, but I just love that passage. Of all the people that uh, you know, could have made a case to not work, it certainly was the Apostle Paul. He was a great speaker. He was a great writer. He had been through a lot in his ministry, a lot of persecution, a lot of challenge. He could have taken a step back and said, you know what, you guys handle uh, the work stuff. I'm just going to sit here and write awesome letters all day. But instead, he said, you know what, I'm going to work day and night. I'm going to work hard because I want to give you an example of what it looks like to live for God every day and to work hard. So we see this morning that God uh, values work from both a present day and an eternal perspective. And the last key point I want to talk about as it relates to God's perspective on work and how God views work is that ultimately God wants our work to be all about Jesus. Now that sounds like a nice thing to say, right? But what does that practically mean? Ultimately, I think it means 
um, that in our work, we seek to glorify Jesus in everything that we do and to bring glory to Jesus in everything that we do. In John 17, 4, Jesus is praying at uh, the Last Supper, and he's praying to God the Father, and he says, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. And ultimately, I think that should be our goal as well as followers of Christ, is uh, to bring glory to God, to bring glory to Jesus um, during our time here on earth, and that certainly encapsulates our work as well. In addition, Paul writes to the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. He says, To this end, we also pray for you always, that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we've talked about how we as people can often view work. We've talked about how God views work. And in our remaining time, I want to focus on a few uh, key ways that we can practically give God glory at work and live lives that are all about Jesus. First, if we are going to give God glory at work, then I believe that we should give it our all in the workplace. We should give it our all at work. Paul in Colossians writes, Whatever you do, work heartily as working for the Lord rather than for men. And there are a couple of points I want to make about that. First, our witness at work will either be affirmed or contradicted by our work ethic. If you go to work and you start talking about Jesus and telling people Jesus, about Jesus, that certainly is a good thing. But I think the first thing that people are going to do after you tell them that is they are going to start to pay attention to how you live and specifically how you work. Second thing about that verse that I wanted to point out is that ultimately it's God that we're accountable to not humans. And so we need to be working hard, and our circumstances are not an excuse. That's a very well-known verse that I just read, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. But what we often forget is that Paul was writing that verse to uh, slaves and how they should work hard, not for their earthly masters, uh, but for God. And so certainly, I think most of the circumstances that we find ourselves in, though they may be difficult, I think they probably fall short of those difficult circumstances. And so we're accountable to God in our work, and we ought to work hard. One of my goals in the workplace is that if you were to go and speak to you know, my manager or someone in the management chain and ask them about me, uh, that they would affirm me as someone that comes to work and works hard. Um, second uh, thing that I think that we should do in the workplace if we're going to give God glory and make our work all about Jesus is that we should seek to work with integrity. There's no doubt that sin has a huge impact on our world and definitely an impact on our workplace. And we encounter everything in the workplace from you know, moral gray area and difficult decisions to make all the way down to absolute evil in some cases. And we must wrestle with any number of things in the workplace, such as office politics and gossip, for example. Who is getting promoted? Who is getting fired? Are we aligning ourselves in the workplace with the right people so that we can be successful? Are we putting people down so that we can look good in comparison? I know that at my workplace, we've kind of created an art of what it looks like to try to take credit for things and shift blame off to, to, to other people. Just working in that sales environment where being number one is always the priority. Uh, it's just amazing when there's a deal that closes, there's a success. It's funny how many people try to tie themselves to that in some manner and say how, how it was really them that brought that successful uh, transaction about. 
Whereas on uh, the other hand, if something goes poorly, um, there's no one to be found and everyone tries to, to shift blame. So how as Christians do we walk in that type of environment? In addition, in addition, there are issues of greed at work, right? The desire to turn a profit at any cost. There's the integrity of our sales and negotiation tactics. That's another example um, from my life. Uh, just in me walking the line of wanting to protect my company's interests, but also be honest and truthful in my dealings with our, our customers. There's the integrity of our hiring and promoting practices, how we deal with difficult people in the workplace who make life miserable for us, and whether or not we choose to work for or with companies that may have questionable or sinful practices. So through all of this, through all the challenges uh, that we experience at work, we should be, as Christians, walking with integrity. And not surprisingly, uh, the Bible has a lot to say about many of these topics. On the topic of gossip, for example, Paul writes to the Thessalonians, for we hear that some of you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to, to do their work quietly. On the issue of greed, Proverbs 15:27 reads, Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household, but he who hates bribes will live. On the issue of social justice in the workplace, Proverbs 16:8 says, Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. If we are going to make Jesus all of our work, if we are going to live lives at work that honor God, we must work with integrity. And sometimes we may even need to ask the question, does my job cause me to sacrifice my integrity and do I need to consider another line of work? A third way that we honor God in the workplace, I believe, is by trusting God with the results of our work. As Christians, we should work hard and we should certainly work skillfully and strive to succeed and we should work with integrity. However, we ultimately need to trust God with our level of success and the platform that he gives us. Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit your work to the Lord. And I know that for me, this can certainly be tough in the workplace. I have my own pride, my own ambitions, the own, my own things that I want to accomplish. And so to say, God, I will do my best, but I will trust you with the results for me, that's very difficult. Over a few things that I've learned uh, just in the short time that I've been in the workforce, a couple of things that I can say is that God may not always satisfy my pride, uh, but he always gives me what I need. And I've seen that as I've gone through good sales years um, where I've been near the top of the company, and I've seen that in bad sales years when I've been near the bottom and been worried about getting fired. So I know that even though my pride may not always be satisfied, God always gives me what I need when I need it. In addition, something I've been trying to grow in is uh, just being able to trust God's promises at work. Uh, and sometimes it's difficult to do that, but it's crucial that we do so. Take, for example, God's promise that he will never leave us nor forsake us. I know that sometimes in my life, I feel like that promise only applies to life and death situations, right? When someone is sick, when my family's falling apart, things like that. But with work, for example, that's just too minor a thing for God's promise to really apply to that. And so I need to believe that God's promises exist uh, not only outside of work, but at work as well. And the fourth and final way that I would say that we can honor God in the workplace is be by being ready to engage those around us with the truth of the gospel. God has placed you in your place of work at this specific time for a specific reason and to be with specific people. You may not like your job right now. You may be looking to get out of your job but while you are there, God has placed you there to interact with the people that you work with. 
Colossians 4.4 reads, Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. In 1 Peter 3, uh, 13 and 15, the Apostle Peter similarly instructs the reader. He says, Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for doing what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense uh, to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. What I draw from these passages is as follows. First, if we would honor God at work, we would always be ready to share who Jesus is with the people around us. And we would be attentive and look for opportunities to share. In addition, when we do so, we would do so in a wise, winsome, and respectful manner. We are trying to win people over, not win an argument. To be honest with you, this particular point is often a challenge for me at work, and it's not because I don't want to share Uh, but it's because I get so busy at work, I'm often not ready for spiritual conversations. Sometimes I can see these moments sort of like driving past in front of me where I know that I can step in and encourage someone towards Jesus, but I don't because I just don't feel ready to do it in the moment, and I'm just so task-oriented and trying to get my work done. And so the challenge for me is to listen to how people are doing at work and to engage with people so that I know how to encourage them and to impact them in a positive way in the workplace. As we close our time here this morning, I really want to make two final comments. First, I want to acknowledge that the things that we're talking about today are extremely difficult to do. It's easy for me to stand up here on Sunday morning and tell you how to honor God in the workplace, but it's much harder for you and for me to actually do it on a day-to-day basis. It's not easy to work hard every day for God's glory. It's not easy to work with integrity. It's not easy to trust God with the results of our work. And it's not easy to be ready to share Jesus with people. To put it simply, we simply can't do it on our own. We need to be in God's word on a consistent basis. We need to be in prayer. And we need to be encouraging each other both on Sunday morning and during the week. If you have not already been, as Kendall uh, encouraged you earlier, I would try to get more connected with Genesis today, either by stopping by our Welcome Center um, or the living room on the way out. Start serving, start attending a community group. Start getting the support that you need to live for God in the workplace every single day. The second thing that I want to leave with us as we close this morning is this idea that 400 is greater than two. Right now on a given you know, Sunday between the morning services and the evening services, I think we have roughly 400 people uh, that attend, whereas we only have two people that are in full-time ministry. And I certainly love the people that we have in full-time ministry. I love Michael Davis. I love James Park. And I also love the people who are serving on a part-time basis as well. Uh, but sometimes I think we can have this perspective that they're the ones that ultimately do ministry while we just attend and take it in. And there's certainly nothing wrong with us coming here and enjoying service on Sunday morning. But I think if that's all we're doing, then ultimately we are missing out. I think when we can really have um, a big impact on the Boston area is when we have not a handful of people or even 100 people doing ministry, but we have 400 people, everyone here that's going out and living for God in the workplace every day. So that's my encouragement to you. Let's be a church of 400 people that are doing ministry 
uh, in the workplace, not just two people.